Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Would you please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Don't mix politics and religion is an ominous way to start a sermon. Don't mix politics and religion. That's the etiquette maxim for church, dinner parties, and just about every other part of our lives. We're told again and again to keep these two seemingly incompatible things as far away from each other as possible. Whatever political proclivities we hold, whatever we believe, they were meant to, uh, to remain private. And no one has the right to interfere with either of them. Except we confuse these things all the time. Politics and religion. When I was serving my first church, the Virginia State representative for the area came my first week and he knocked on the door to my office and he introduced himself and he said, I just came because I want you to know who I am because I, even though you're new, I consider you a leader of the community and I'm a leader of the community and I want to make sure that we're working together for our community. I thought, this is remarkable. A politician has come to the church to say that he wants us to work together in tandem with one another. I thought it was remarkable. We had this great conversation. And at the very end, he was getting ready to leave. And before he left my office, he turned around and he said, Now, <clears throat> just as a reminder, every election season, I, I appreciate those who put in a good word for me from the pulpit, if you know what I mean. Politics and religion. Now, we blur. It's not just politicians. We do it, too. We blur the line between church and state all the time. We do it when we, we view one another through the names on our bumper stickers instead of the name that is above all names. Uh, we, we do it uh, every time we think that a certain Tuesday in November is more important than what happens in church every single Sunday. We do it when we get all worked up about who sits behind the desk in the Oval Office because sometimes we forget who sits behind the desk at the Oval Office of the universe. This so-called relationship, uh, uh, the separation between church and state, I think sometimes it actually looks more like an extremely tumultuous marriage in which neither partner knows while they're still together. And it's not even our fault. Don't you love when you can blame someone else for your problem? We can blame this one squarely on Jesus. This is Jesus' fault. It would have been one thing if he said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. But have you noticed how he teaches us to pray? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's good and fine and tame. No one's going to squirm around in their pews on Sunday when they hear those words. No one's going to lose sleep over them. But then Jesus goes on to say, Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Politics have crept in to the Lord's prayer. Here we are, we're minding our own business, we're talking about God and heaven and holiness, and then boom, politics. One kingdom supplanting another kingdom, calling into question our priorities, what is first, what is last, what matters, and what matters not. That's the great wonder to me and the great challenge of the Lord's Prayer. We've said it so many times in so many places with so many people that we no longer think about what it is we're actually saying when we're praying. Let your kingdom come, Lord. Let your will be done. Notice, we don't pray, Lord, let my political party finally be in charge for a little while. We don't pray, Lord, watch over our nice little church so that we can knock out the competition across the street and down the street and everywhere in between. We don't say, Lord, please bless our country so that everyone else in the world will finally start acting like us. No, we say, Lord, let your will be done. 
Let your kingdom come. We live in a time where there's this growing uh, sort of desire for all things spiritual. You can book a spiritual retreat at a spa for the weekend. You can download an app on your phone that will connect you with all things spiritual. You can even hire a spiritual guru who will guide you in the practices of meditation and transcendence. And all of that is fine. Some of it might even be Christian. But this prayer is a reminder, a ringing reminder, that whatever Christianity is, it is very materialistic. In other words, physical, tactile things matter. The next line in this prayer, Jesus says, you should pray for bread. Not spiritual bliss, bread. Following the Lord, taking up our cross, is a physical thing. It's not simply adhering to a set of ideas or doctrines. Discipleship is as much about our bellies and our hearts as it is about our brains. Following Jesus is a concrete reality. We can call it an adventure that has implication for the way we live our lives from what we eat to who we eat with. But we'll talk more about bread next week. Suffice it to say that in this part of the Lord's Prayer, this petition here about let your kingdom come, thy will be done, it is what the whole prayer hinges on. Or as my friends and former professors say, calling for God's kingdom is the reminder that this prayer is not forgetting what we want, but rather for bending our wants toward what God wants. It's about praying for God's kingdom and not my kingdom. But what is this kingdom we're praying for? What does it look like? What exactly are we praying for? Jesus thankfully talks a lot about the kingdom. In fact, he talks about the kingdom of God more than he talks about anything else. And when Jesus talks about the kingdom, he talks about it with hints and hidden glimpses, parables and puzzles. He proclaims the kingdom instead of explaining it. So what is this kingdom we pray for? Jesus says, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Be careful later in the service when we sing the Lord's Prayer together. Praying for the kingdom, some mustard seeds might fall in your lap. The kingdom of God is like a fig tree that could sure use some manure. The kingdom of God is like a field of wheat and weeds. The kingdom of God is like a wealthy man who gives his wealth away to his servants and he gets out of dodge. The kingdom of God is like a farmer who starts scattering his seed every which way without caring at all whether he lands on soil or among the thorns or even on the sidewalk. The kingdom of God is like a volunteer at Vacation Bible School, responsible for 15 children. And when one of the children goes missing, leaves behind the 14 in search of the one. That's never happened here at Raleigh Court United Methodist Church. The kingdom of God, though, is also more than just the stories that Jesus told. The kingdom is visible in him and the way that he lived. Jesus is the kingdom in the flesh. So if we want to know what his kingdom looks like, we only need to look at Jesus. And Jesus is forever spending his time with the last and the least and the lost, the little, the dead. Forever bringing hope to the hopeless, mercy to the wretched, grace to those in disgrace. We can know about the kingdom we pray for because we know Jesus. Now, of course, Jesus' kingdom looks nothing like the kingdoms of the world. The kingdoms of the world are run by fear and by power, constantly deciding who is in, who is out. They crumble with every arrival of every new kingdom, but God's kingdom is different. God's kingdom obliterates all the world's means of deciding who is in and who is out. When we say something like, the kingdom of God is for all, we really mean it. 
We mean it because the kingdom is the most inclusive thing in the cosmos. It's inclusive because Christ draws all into himself when he mounts the hard word of the cross. It's inclusive because Christ comes not to condemn the world, but to save the world. It's inclusive because Christ brings good news to those who need it, which is namely everyone. All the divisions in life that cause us grief, rich and poor, Republican and Democrat, and the worst division of all, UVA and Virginia Tech, those divisions, they are overcome in the kingdom of God. Now that's not to say that those distinctions don't have meaning. They just lose their power over us in the inclusivity of the kingdom. In the kingdom, you might have to come to the altar if you're a Wahoo with someone that's a Hokie. That's what happens in the kingdom of God. The divisions start to break down. Our pews are not walls of division. They're avenues of connection. And yet we pray for God's kingdom to come because it's not yet here in its fullness. It's the, the already but the not yet. To be Christian is to be unsatisfied with the status quo, with how things are. Because our faith is eschatological. We, we are a people who insist on leaning in to God's future. Now that doesn't mean we're just standing around on our tiptoes hoping to catch a glimpse of tomorrow when it arrives. We pray this prayer because we already participate in God's strange and wondrous future. We live outside of time, basically, as Christians. We gather to read words from the past that give us an assurance about the future so that we can live differently now. We know how the story ends, which means we're clued in to God's future, which gives us the freedom to live in the present. Which is why we can do wondrous things like love our enemies and befriend the friendless and feed the hungry. We can do all of those things because they are foretastes of the kingdom to come. The kingdom made possible in Jesus. We can do all those things and we can also do something even more radical and even more wild. We can worship. In a world that's as broken and backward as ours is, we can take the time every week to have a party. We just call it worship. Part of our faith is the gift to have the kind of grace, the kind of grace, the kind of grace I mean, it's kind of like grace too, um, to let loose, be a little slippery, to relax for once and just rejoice. Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a king who has a banquet for his son. He sends his slaves out to get all the invited guests with descriptions of this lavish party, but each of them have an excuse for why they can't go. They're either too busy, too indifferent, or too agitated. To let loose, relax, and have fun. But the king is no ordinary king. Nothing can stop his party. So he sends his slaves back out again. And he says, drag in people off the street. I don't care how good they are. I don't care how bad they are. I want to have a party. The kingdom of God that we pray for, every time we pray the Lord's Prayer, it is both political, but it is also a celebration. It's a party. The kingdom that we pray for has ramifications for how we live and move and have our being, but it's also fun, or at least it's supposed to be. As I've said a few times now, you know, we had vacation Bible school last week, and it was such a delight to have all these children running around the building and, and having fun, doing rec downstairs and arts and crafts upstairs and coming here into the sanctuary for solving mysteries with the Reverend Detective, Pastor Taylor. We have uh, this big pew Bible. We always have it here on the altar except when we have communion. And because we were getting the mysteries from the Bible, the groups of kids would come into the sanctuary and I would point and I'd say, does anything look like it's missing? 
The kids would say, the Bible's missing. The Bible's missing. I said, yeah, I'm not a very good detective. I lost the Bible. Can you help me find it? And I hid it somewhere in one of the pews that you're sitting in. And these kids came back three different times to three different stories. And every time, I lost the Bible. Which meant every time they ran in, they, at the third time, they didn't even listen to me. They just started, they went to look for that Bible. Because they knew we couldn't tell the story until we found it. Sometimes it was under the pew. One time I hid it by the drum set up here. The kids could not find it. It was hysterical. And it was great because after the third time, one of our kindergartners, she came up to me and she said, Pastor Taylor, you have got to be more careful with that Bible. <laughs> it was such a great weekend. It was like riotous and wild and just running after these kids the whole time. It was so, so great. But for me, above all the stations and even above all the scripture stories, the best moment came on Saturday. When the parents were coming to pick up their kids, one of the dads, I heard him say, how was it? And his son shouted, I had so much fun. That's the kingdom we're praying for. That's the kingdom that we're leaning into every time we say the Lord's Prayer. And it's not out there somewhere else waiting for the right moment to finally show up. It's already here. In ways seen and unseen, it's worth our celebration. I love how Robert Capon puts it. He says, contrary to how we think of it, God is not actually like our mother-in-law who comes by once a year to see whether or not her wedding present china has been chipped or even used. He says, God is actually more like our funny uncle who shows up unannounced, uninvited, with a salami under one arm, a bottle of wine under the other, and he's ready to have fun. The Lord comes to start the party that we call the Supper of the Lamb, otherwise known as the Kingdom of Heaven. It's a party that we catch glimpses of every week. It's a party to which, like those out in the streets, we have no business being invited, but God delights in dragging us in anyway. So every time we pray the Lord's Prayer, every time we eat and drink from the bread and the cup, the Lord's Supper with Jesus, we live into His Kingdom that we pray for. The kingdom of God is like a bunch of people, people like us, good and bad and everything in between, eating and drinking and having fun with Jesus. That is the kingdom we pray for. That is the future that we lean into. And so I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen.